Welcome to another message in God's wonderful Word. Here at the Hillsdale Bible Church, we aim to learn God's way, that we might live God's way. May the words you hear today draw you closer to Him. Open your Bibles and your heart as we learn together in this message. Okay, I'm going to have you join me in Psalm 103. 103. We will be spending eight messages in Psalm 103 in the month of November. Now, that's either going to take something absolutely incredible on my part to make that all Sunday mornings, or it will be Sunday nights too. So, you want to guess which one I'm going to do? Sunday morning and Sunday night, we're going to work our way through this passage. Uh, I'd like to have you join us here in the evening so you don't miss part two of our study of this passage. Psalm 103 is a, a beautiful passage for us to spend this month. We are in November. We like to uh, put our attention toward the things that we're thankful for. And I think on that list, mercy should be pretty high on the list. And uh, so we're going to look at this psalm. It's a psalm of mercy. And um, so today, this morning, the first verse and the second verse will be our attention. Bless the Lord, all my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, all my soul. Forget none of his benefits. Heavenly Father, we humbly come before you today. Recipients of your love and your mercy and your grace. Sometimes I feel, Lord, like a child who doesn't really understand enough to appreciate such magnificent gifts. But your word has given to us what we need to know. And it brings our attention back to you. And we thank you, Lord, for what you have done. We have this tremendous passage before us. And I pray that we have open hearts as well. And that we're ready to, to receive from your hand, and learn of your mercy, and respond appropriately. Bless your name should be the response that comes from our heart. Help us with this passage, Lord, as we seek to understand it, to glean much and respond much. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I like the way Peter said this in his first epistle. The very third verse he wrote, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Mercy is such a topic to study. In Scotland, they tell me, 
that this Psalm 103 is sang every time they celebrate the communion service. I have not heard that in my life, but I've been told that that's what they do. Um, there's a French phrase that a friend of mine used to uh, use. He spoke French. Uh, he would have fun with me at times with using French words to respond to my my comments and things. And he, he would say, merci beaucoup. Some of you know what that is. That means uh, much thanks. Right? I always toyed with languages, and when he would speak French to me, I'd mutilate it uh, by responding back, and I'd say, mercy bucket. And that was my response when he would say that, and so I'd even put it on letters I'd send to him at the end, mercy buckets and things like that, and we had fun with that. Um, but there is something in that thought. When you think of much thanks, what do we have much thanks for? Mercy. And so I've kind of played with the word and put it all together. When we examine the mercy of God... I always picture a bucket full. And so I gave you an illustration in front of you to think about as we go through here. How the Lord has given to us so, so, so very much of his mercy. The topic of mercy, if we wanted to do an exhaustive study of it in scripture, we would certainly be exhausted. Trying to reach the peaks that we would never reach. Uh, trying to understand it. So I thought maybe if we just can, uh, you know, keep one psalm in front of us that spoke of mercy, maybe we had a better shot at understanding it best. And yet when I did that, uh, in my thinking, Spurgeon made this comment in his commentary. He says, there's, there's too much in this psalm for a thousand pens to write. And I thought, well, we're going to try to do it in eight sermons. And uh, there's not enough to say there either. Um, we have in this series quite a number of things that, that revolve around mercy I want to speak about. Uh, today, as you might see in your bulletin, the titles there, A Call to Rejoice and A Call to Remembrance. And that will be our focus this morning, based on His mercy. Uh, this evening, the benefits of His mercy will be our theme. Next Sunday morning, the character of His mercy. Then as we work our way down to the need of His mercy the extent of his mercy, the present condition of his mercy, the future condition of mercy, and the authority of his mercy. All of these are topics wrapped up in this little psalm, and they're fascinating, so we're going to do our best to understand them. But uh, mercy is a response to a problem. That's how God meets our need in mercy. Blessing is a response to mercy. Each thing that is done as we study this through, it demands a response. It demands a response. We, we can start in the book of Hebrews here this morning, before we even look at these words. In Hebrews chapter 4, there's a fascinating uh, statement here of how God has met our need. If you've traveled to Hebrews, I'm still working there myself. Hebrews chapter 4. Toward the, the middle, toward the end, actually, of the chapter, verse 13, we start with our problem. Our problem is sin. And it says, And there is no creature hidden from his sight. Do you realize that? No creature hidden from his sight. All things are open and laid bare to the eyes of him with whom we have to do. That's a problem, <laughs> knowing that we're sinners. All things are laid bare before him. He sees everything. And he does see our problem. And he sent 
the answer. Verse 14. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. And he's done more than just come to see. He's also sympathized with us. And the next verse tells us, he sympathizes with our problem. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. But he does even more than that, because he not only sees our problem and can sympathize with it, but he can solve it too. And the very next verse speaks to this effect. It says, Let us therefore draw near with confidence to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. We can approach this throne to receive what we need. I was thinking that through. In Hebrews, it also tells us in chapter number 9, it tells us about the high priest and his uh, duties. The regular priest, they would serve the Lord day in and day out. They'd go into the tabernacle or the temple and they'd serve right there in the what we call the holy place. They had access every day into this holy place. And they'd take in a showbread and they'd take in light the candles and all the, the tasks they had to do there. But it goes on to say that once a year though, once a year, the high priest, it happens to be on the Day of Atonement, he was to go into the Holy of Holies, one time of year. And as he went into the Holy of Holies, he would go in there in order to, to make atonement for the people, for the sins that they have committed. One time a year, were they given access, that one man, to this place, that he might appeal to the Lord for, on behalf of the people for the sins that they have committed. And I thought, what a contrast that is to us today. What a contrast. Because in the book of Leviticus, it tells us that there was a whole shopping list of things that that high priest had to do on that day he went into that temple and into that Holy of Holies. And I could almost picture it like a checklist. He had to make sure every single point was correctly done. And I, I counted up in the book of Leviticus, chapter 16, 11 things he had to do before he could walk into this room. Uh, he must come with the offering, that's one. He must have his proper attire, and that's everything that he was required to wear, from the tunic to the undergarments to the sashes to the turbans, everything. He had to have all that properly attired. He had to have had a bath. I think that's interesting. It's in the law, all right? If you have trouble with your kids, Leviticus 16 is a good verse for that. Um, fourth, he already had to have made atonement for his own self before he could represent the people. Number five, he had to select the scapegoat that goes into the wilderness. There's a big story behind that. Number six, he had to select another goat for a sin offering, and that had to be done. Number seven, he had to sacrifice a bull on top of all that. Number eight, he had to have a pan of coals from the altar. Now start to picture him, all right? You can picture the things he's got to bring with him. A pan of coals from the altar. He had to have two handfuls of finely ground incense. Now if you're counting hands, he's already got three hands full, right? All right? He, he had to bring a basin of the bull's blood to sprinkle on the mercy seat, and he had to have a second basin of blood, which was the goat's blood, to sprinkle on the mercy seat. 
All these things had to have been done. All these things, and it sounds like he needed a bucket to go in there just to carry everything that was required of him to do. Now, do you think he went in with a great deal of confidence? I think he probably didn't sleep the night before. Here's one of the concerns. If he approached this throne when he was not right with the Lord, if he had not done these things, if there was an issue there that he was uh, reflecting negatively upon the glory of the Lord, there are certain stories in the Old Testament that shows the Lord's response to that. Usually involved fire. And it turned out to be very, very bad. I would be very concerned. Once a year I go in there, but I don't know if I'm coming back out. So tradition says that uh, they put bells on the hem of the garments that the priest went in. If the bells stopped, they knew there was trouble. They also tied a rope on their leg. When the bells stopped, it was time to pull them out. Now, that's a concerning thing. So, they did not enter, at least if I was in that position, I would not enter with a great deal of confidence, uh, but perhaps with concern, with anxiety, uh, maybe very timidly. How do we enter? Look at that verse again in Hebrews 4, verse 16. Look at these words. Therefore let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace. Do we approach God's throne understanding that we can approach it openly with assurance, with confidence, not with timidity, but with boldness? Isn't that quite a change? What has made such a change? Our God's great mercy. His great mercy toward us has given us a chance to go in. And we come in there, and and you know this too, because every time you pray, guess where you're standing? Before that same throne. And we approach that throne. And we carry in a bucket full of problems, don't we? Lord, this is wrong. This is wrong. I need help with this. This is wrong. Oh, this one too. It didn't fit in the bucket, but I brought it along. Alright, we come with all these things. And every single time we leave that throne, He gives us what we need. That's what the verse says, right? When we leave this room, what do we have? That we may receive mercy and find help in the time of need. He never lets you leave empty-handed. His mercy, His grace, is always given to us. Always given to us. We can take hold of it. We can obtain it. We can find grace in the time of need. Find grace. That's an incredible act that He does for us. The combination of these two thoughts are beautiful. Grace is God giving me something I don't deserve. Mercy is God giving me, uh, not giving me what I do deserve. And he gives this to us constantly. <laughs> now what's nice about this, as we start to study this passage on God's mercy, don't worry about taking a handful of it. He's got more than enough. You won't exhaust his supply. The book of Ephesians tells us that. A beautiful verse, chapter 2, verse 4. But God being rich in mercy, he's wealthy. He's abundant in mercy because of his great love in which he loved us. Even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. So we're going to attempt to dig deep in this mercy of God. And we're, we've got plenty of room to do that. He says, bless the Lord. 
O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Let's go back to that psalm, Psalm 103. Let's look at that first phrase. This is is a fascinating thing he does here. David is writing this psalm. You might see his his name at the title there in your text. But uh, David is writing this, and he starts with a command, a very intense command, actually, in the Hebrew, and a very singular command at that. He's not talking to a thousand people or a whole nation. He's talking to an individual. He's talking to himself, to tell the truth. And he says, bless, in a command form, in an intense form, singularly he addresses worship here, to kneel, to worship, to praise, to adore. He said, singularly, I will worship, and he commands himself to. Bless the Lord, O my soul. A singular worship. He takes his soul and wraps it up in the picture of uh, his own life, his own feelings and, and spirit and desire and inclination and intentions. But it's my soul he's dealing with. He's not, he, he, he's thinking of him, his own individual, singular, personal approach here. Bless the Lord, oh my soul. Now in baseball they have uh, designated hitters for pitchers. They come in and, and stand in the batter's box and, and bat for the pitcher so he doesn't have to in the American League. There are no designated hitters when it comes to worship. Somebody doesn't take your place and do that for you. David starts here, he's talking to himself, right? He says, my soul needs to bless the Lord. My soul. It's a personal thing. It's a singular thing. This is kind of interesting because praise, worship that we're looking at, their response, folks, their response, so many times we try to manipulate them to make them, I think it's practices in church uh, procedure anymore that they try to make people worship. They come in and they, they manipulate services that worship can begin. This is a response to mercy. It's a response to mercy. What God has already done. See, praise of God begins with ourself. Begins with ourself. Oh, my soul. Here's the nature of worship, and I'll give you four attributes as I weave them through our sermon today. First thing is, it is personal. It is personal. Worship is personal. It's not merely through a family, through a father. It's not just people, through a pastor. It's not a congregation, even through a choir. But it starts personally. My soul. My soul has come to worship him. J. Bernard McGee, in his little commentary, says, this whole psalm begins with a solo. It ends with a symphony, but it starts with a solo. It starts with a solo. You'll notice this command, bless the Lord, often in the psalm. Verse number 1, bless the Lord. Verse number 2, bless the Lord. Verse number 20, if you turn the page, bless the Lord. Verse number 21, bless the Lord. Verse number 22, bless the Lord. Twice in verse number 22. Six times he says, bless the Lord, bless the Lord, bless the Lord. But every time he does it, it starts with me. It starts with me. If you remember, quite a number of years ago, matter of fact, it's been quite a while, uh, 11 years ago, there was a little, uh, not a little, a big problem uh, medically called SARS. SARS epidemic. Severe acute respiratory 
syndrome. That was a guess on the last word. Syndrome. It, it apparently had broken out in China, 2003, somewhere about those parts. Uh, broke out in China and spread to Hong Kong. There was a hotel that ended up uh, being labeled as a, a hot spot for it for many of the residents on the same floor of that hotel came down with this. And it went into the islands there in the Far East and made its way into Canada. Perhaps you remember in the news how Toronto was always in the news about this one. Uh, and did work its way to the United States. It was of the degree at one time that 9% of those who had it died from it. That's one out of every 10 at one point. There was another point where 50 people 50 years old and over, 50% of them died from it. We think, wow, that was pretty intense. That was, that was 2003. We went through those things. What do we have today? It's in the news, isn't it? We talk about the Ebola situation and all those things. Highly, highly contagious scenarios. Highly contagious scenarios. We think the best thing to do is to isolate people because it's so contagious. What would it be like if worship were like that? Starts with one person. And because they're, they're so intent on worshiping the Lord that it starts to spread to other people. You got a picture of this psalm in front of you now. It starts with one. By the time it's done, everyone's doing that. Angels, everybody, they're joining in with the praise because it starts with that one person. It takes one person to spread this. And David does this here. He says, this is personal worship. It's a singular worship, but it's also a sincere worship. Because he says, I'm going to bless the Lord with all that is within me. All that is within me. Every single part. Every single part. The inner part, the middle parts, the center parts. The deepest parts. The, the all that is in my heart kind of parts. Everything goes into this praise. Not just my tongue. All of me will praise Him. It's all that is within me. All my abilities, all my emotions, all my senses, every part is called to join in in this chorus of praise. That makes it a fervent prayer. It also makes worship fervent. It's personal, but it's also fervent. I don't know the full name of this man, but it goes by the name Sir R. Baker. Noticed him in one of the commentaries. This is his little phrase that he wrote concerning this phrase, and all that is within me. My body, God knows, is gross and heavy and very unfit for so sublime a work. No, my soul, it is you who must do it. And indeed, what else do you have to do? It is the very work for which you were made. And all that you were fit to do the work as that work is fit for you to do. But alas, you have become in a manner earthly. At least have lost a great part of your abilities and will never be able to go through with this great work by yourself. If to bless the Lord were no more but to say, Lord or Lord, like those who cry, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, then my tongue would be sufficient alone for it. And I should not need to trouble any other about it. But to bless the Lord is an eminent work. It requires not only many, but very able agents to perform it. And therefore, my soul, when you go about it, go not alone. 
but take with you all that is within me, all the forces of my whole self, whether it be my heart or my spirit, whether it be my will or my affections, whether it be my understanding or my memory, take it all with you and bless the Lord. Isn't that quite a beautiful way to sum up a simple thought? Take it all with you. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable to you in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. We, we read these words in scripture. We see them in the book of Psalms and they stand before us. And yet we have this danger as we go to a church, as we spend our time going through the service. And, and in some cases we do it because we know it well. It's a ritual. It can become a ritual. We know the procedure. We know the parts. We, we go through all the, the, the same phrases that need to be said. And sometimes if we look more like parrots, uh, that might be appropriate. The Lord mentions that in Isaiah once before. He said, these people draw near to me with their words. They honor me with their lip service. And they remove their hearts from me. Is it possible to praise them with the lips and not with the heart? These people have that problem. They've removed their hearts from me. And their reverence for me consists of traditions learned by rote. Insincere worship. Half-hearted, ill-conceived, unintelligent praises that are speaking of his holy name. Seems like a strange combination, doesn't it? And all that is within me, bless his holy name, his character. We bless his, his honor, we bless his authority, we bless his reputation. I, I, when I go to the book of Psalms, I often like to reference Spurgeon's writing. He wrote a beautiful commentary on Psalms. He just simply said, God's all cannot be praised with less than our all. Very appropriate statement. People, I've heard this before, who would say, but I don't know what to praise him for. (laughs) You must not know him very well then. For if you spend a little time thinking of his character, his work, his love toward you, his grace, his mercy, pick an attribute, start going through it and understand him better, you will see the more he deserves praise. For it's quite possible we can fail in our blessing him if we come to him just looking at this gift or that gift or that word or this work or this way and we don't see him. This psalm is not calling us just to list all the things that he has done and say thank you Lord for that. But we're blessing his holy name. His holy name is our focus. It's him that gets the focus. That's a cause for us to rejoice. Bless the Lord for all that he's done. But it's also a call for us to remember who are we blessing. Not just what has brought us to this day, but who do we bless. Bless the Lord. You see that focus? Not only is it stated in verse 1, it's stated again in verse 2. Do you know why he does that? Trying to get our attention. Right? You're not a forgetter, are you? Some people have terrible times. That I, I, I can forget easily. I write lists. I've got shopping lists and all that. I always love it when the cashier asks me, did you get everything you were looking for? I have no idea. Especially if I forget my list. I'm in trouble. 
I have no idea what I'm there for. Uh, the, the need we have to be reminded is understood by our Lord. He does it often in his scripture. He reminds us. He reminds us. He reminds us. He reminds us why we're here. What we're to do. What we're to say. He, this call to bless the Lord is repeated on purpose. Bless the Lord. Twice it's given as a command. Bless the Lord. Twice it emphasizes that, that singular worship that begins with me. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Twice he brings that before our attention. And that's not because that, uh, you know, he's looking poorly upon us. He just knows who we are. He knows our frame. He knows that we're forgetful people. Bless the Lord and forget none of his benefits. I like the way that even comes out in Hebrew. It's the basic idea is, don't you dare forget this. <laughs> don't you dare forget. Don't you dare forget. See, repetition helps us to remember things. We need to, to learn to repeat over and over. This same formula is in verse 1 and 2. Same thing. That we might see it. So, in this, we, we've learned worship is personal. We've seen it's also fervent, but it's also very rational. He didn't say, leave your mind at the door. Alright? It's very rational. He appeals to your thinking in this psalm. Do not forget. Do not forget. Do not forget. The word forget is to be oblivious to something. It doesn't have your attention doesn't have your, your memory engaged here. I sometimes wonder if, it's, if forgetfulness is actually the opposite of praise. We would say praise or not praise. But, but the way scripture defines it, the, he, when he mentions praise, the contrast to that is forgetfulness. Those who forget, they forget, they forget. They don't remember what they were to praise him for. You know, it's easy to remember bad things that happen to us, right? That's easy to do. It's easy for us to forget what good has been done to us. That's easy to do. It's even easier, I think, to forget what the Lord has done for us. People do things for us, and we remember it from time to time, but... Forgetting what the Lord has done for us. Why, why is this command stated in such a way that we don't forget? Forget none of his benefits. Because our memories tend to be very frail. They need something to fan them and get them hot again. I remember years ago, I, I loved working with charcoal grills. And, and I had uh, grilled some something on it and... Later that evening, it was dark and I had forgotten to clean up the grill before I went to bed. So I, I went back out on the porch and I got my scraper and started to scrape the, the uh, grating on the top. And as I was going, I could see the glow start to come out of those black coals. And the more I, I thought I'd have fun, so I just kept going and it kept getting brighter and brighter and brighter. And that's true, isn't it? It looks like it's... it's it's done. It looks like it's cold. It looks like it's lifeless. And then you start to fan it a little bit. And then you start to see the glow come from that. The concept of remembering is very much like that. For when we're not thinking, 
it just sits there and it's idle and it grows cold. But as we think, we, we go over it, we fan it a little bit, and it starts to revive in our thinking, and you start to remember again, and it brightens as it goes. Just a simple picture, but that's the whole philosophy Peter had as he wrote his epistles. When he wrote his epistles, he said these words, it's in Second Peter, chapter number 1, and mind you, Peter was writing his very last letter, I don't know if he knew that or not, but he suspected it, I think, as he's writing this letter to the, the churches, he's addressing the fact that uh, we're going through some tough times, but I want to remind you of my ministry to you. And in chapter number one, he says, I'm always going to remind you. Every time I write to you, I'm going to remind you. In verse 12, therefore, I will always be ready to remind you of these things, even though you already know them. I think, honestly, uh, uh, somebody who's whose heart belongs to the Lord, they don't mind the reminders. They don't mind the reminders. If I wanted to talk to you this morning about the grace of our Lord and the uh, sacrifice He had on, on the cross on our behalf and spent the whole morning service talking about the crucifixion of Christ, those of you who love the Lord would love the topic, wouldn't you? If I wanted to talk about salvation and I wanted to talk about how the Lord has done great works to draw us to himself and how he changes our lives from, from dead to living and from darkness to light and all these great changes, those who love the Lord would just love that topic. Years and years ago, my very first pastorate, uh, uh, I was in among a group of, of people who I would share the, the gospel with them on a Sunday morning. And I literally had an elder come up to me and say, you don't need to do that anymore. We've heard that before. Yet, but he said it in such a way as if he said, and don't ever say it again. I found out later, he didn't know the Lord. His heart was not engaged. He didn't love him. He didn't desire to talk about him. Peter says, I know you know this, but I'm going to remind you anyway. So he picks up his pen and he starts to write to them. He says, that's my ministry to you. I'm here to remind you of what you already know. And then he says in verse 13 of the same epistle, he says, and as long as I'm here, I will stir you up by way of reminder. As long as I'm still in this earthly body, I'm going to remind you. And then he says, here's my goal in verse 15 of 2 Peter 1. And I will also be diligent that at any time after my departure, his death, you will be able to call these things to mind. He wanted to so ingrate it in the hearts of his people, like a good teacher, he wanted to teach it so they would never forget it. Even if Peter was off the scene, they would not forget. They would not forget. That was Peter's way of teaching. That's his ministry to them, a reminding ministry. Now David's writing here in this psalm, and we have it in front of us here. He, he's, he's writing to remind, again, even his own soul. He's reminding his own soul of the benefits of the Lord. Some people say David wrote this when he was much older in life. There's some uh, aspects of this psalm that seem to suggest, boy, did he go through something tough. And probably that's true. They think it was toward his later years. He had a higher sense of the preciousness of pardon. Uh, he had a keener sense of sin uh, than he did in his younger days. He had a clear sense of the, the frailty of life. 
Uh, they think that maybe he wrote this after all these events in his life, and he was advanced in years. There's a simple principle if that's all true. You who are senior saints among us, I'm getting closer to that department too, you have more experience with the mercy of God. You, you have come to appreciate the grace and mercy of the Lord. You have more years of understanding and seeing it and knowing it than some of our younger believers here. You are the ones who ought to get us started in praising Him. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. So often we sit back and we say, you know, let the next generation find this out for themselves. I don't think so. I think we who appreciate His mercy ought to be first in line to say, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. How else are they going to learn if we're not the ones who say it? There's so much that they can learn of the blessing of the Lord. See, silence is not golden. Not in this department. When we're talking about the mercies of the Lord, those who know it well ought to speak more of it. They've got to be out at the forefront. And this is, this is rational, because they have more experience with it. And I know, as we grow older, our, our forgetfulness mounts, doesn't it? I had a friend who always said, well, you know, I, I think I have a pretty good memory, it's just the software is going bad. And that's the way he always said it that way. Um, but uh, we, we, uh, we say, okay, this is, this is a rational thing for us to do. But it's also a very specific thing for us to do. Because we come before him to not forget any of his benefits. Forget none of his benefits. None of them. Everyone, everyone ought to be remembered. This is what the list will be tonight. He pardons our iniquities. He heals our diseases. He redeems our life from the pit. He crowns us with loving kindness and compassion. Do you know all these things? Have you been there? Has he blessed you with his mercy? Speak of it. That's what David is saying. To his own soul, speak of it. Prime the pump a little bit. He's done good for us. So why do we forget? Maybe we don't rehearse enough. Maybe we don't rehearse enough. I'll give you a couple of suggestions here. Maybe it might be in putting it down on print. Write it in a little book. Count your blessings. You know that little song? Good practice. Good practice. Make a list of what the Lord has done for you. You might take the rest of the day to do that. It might take you the rest of your life to do that. But it's a good thing to do. If you're one prone to forget, make a list. Rehearse the list. Second thing I can suggest to you too, if you say, well, I I don't know if I have enough events in my life to, it's not about events, it's about mercy. Alright? But if you're looking for things to thank the Lord for, go through any of the Psalms, or even pick the whole book. But walk through the Psalms, and here's one thing you can do, a little habit in your practice. Read the Psalm and find three things to give Him thanks for. Is that too hard? Three things for every psalm that that will keep you occupied for a long time. But there's a a practice. In other words, commit your soul to the study of his mercy. Commit yourself to it. So you don't forget. 
it's a call to remember, right? A call for us to remember. So we, we, we come before him in rejoicing. We come before him because we remember. And that's where he begins the psalm. We're going to work our way through and see what this mercy is all about. And each time it's going to mount and grow bigger and bigger and bigger. And I love it about this psalm. But as we start, this is where it must start. It starts with me. It starts with you. Your own soul. Don't wait for somebody next to you to start it. You start it. Bless the Lord. Bless the Lord. Heavenly Father, we have much to learn here. May we not be short-sighted as we study this psalm together. But may our sight be set on you. Your word tells us to set our, our thoughts on things above, set our affections on things above. That's where our Lord is. We have an awful lot in this world to attract our attention. A lot of things to give us concern. A lot of things to consume our time. A lot of things that we are, are, are conscious of that we might have it all in order. We have all the pieces with us. We have everything in, in its place. We face a day with these kind of lists. But may we also, Lord, start with a new kind of list. A list of your mercies toward us. A bucket full of your mercy that we may stop and praise you for. Draw our attention this way, Lord, through this psalm. Draw our attention this way that we might be thankful people like we're called to be. We give you the glory, Lord. We certainly will. The praise for all this in Jesus' name. Amen.